Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. Yeah. Like, like Pat said, uh, uh, we've been friends for a very long time, and, and, and Brett as well, um, since uh, I think 87, a uh, long time connection with them as well as his church. So, so excited to be back here with you all again today. Uh, as you saw, um, I am a, I'm, a, I'm in the Air Force. Uh, that is a little bit more rocking version of our Air Force song. I found that um, our, our one of our deployed bands um, put that together. It's pretty awesome. So I, I might have to use that every time we have ceremonies now. But... Um, so good to be here with you. Welcome to those watching online. Um, happy Labor Day weekend. Um, I don't know if that's hap- appropriate, you know. Happy- Labor Day weekend usually signals the end of summer, and so I'm not sure how happy it is. You do get a three-day weekend, but it also means for our students that they go back to school, and, you know, some of that chaos that comes with the school year comes back. You know, none of that waking up late or um, things like that. Um, I-, I remember... Years ago, uh, when our girls were little, um, in elementary school, you know, they just, they never liked to buy school lunches, you know. Um, I was kind of a fan of a school lunch. I like cafeterias too, so maybe I'm, I'm the oddball, but they didn't like school lunches, so we always had to pack their lunch in the mornings, and, you know, sometimes mornings can get really crazy, and it was one of those mornings that I remember that um, uh, things weren't just working out perfectly, so, you know, everyone's kind of on their wit's end, and um, the girls just kind of, who really aren't picky eaters, they just kind of had lots of, like, ah, I don't want that for lunch, and so on, to a point where my wife, Erin, she just said, you know what, you guys make your own lunch. At first, it was kind of quiet, <laughs> but then it, it just sounded so funny that that phrase just kind of caught on in our family, so now we kind of say, make your own lunch, you know, things like that. When, you know, when we're trying to help one another and, and things aren't just falling into place or people aren't helping us out, so we're like, fine, just you make your own lunch. So we use that phrase a lot in our house, and I'm sure some of you probably have that experience as well when you're going through something, especially when you're helping someone else out, and they're just resisting and they're not really helping out, and you're like, fine. Just make your own lunch. You know, I kind of wonder if Jesus, during his three years ministry here on the earth, as he was really serving us and found all this pushback or just lack of understanding, if Jesus ever felt like, you know what, guys, just make your own lunch. In John chapter 14, I'm going to be reading from there this morning, John chapter 14, there's a, there's a story here. It comes, you know, near the end of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus has done the, the Last Supper. Uh, he's washed the disciples' feet, and um, he's kind of letting them know what the, the way ahead is, what's going to happen. And he's, he's talking, to, he's kind of somewhat alluding to the cross as well as what's going to happen in the future and God, how he's there's making a place for us up in heaven. And um, he kind of makes this phrase here in John chapter 14, he, in, John, in verse 4, it says, And you know where I'm, where I'm the way to where I'm, you know the way, uh, let's read it actually. And you know the way to where I am going. Now these, he's saying this to his closest friends, right? The apostles, the ones who've been with him for all this time throughout his ministry. And he says, you know the way where I'm going. 
and, and the ones who are in the know, the ones that Jesus has been pouring into teaching them, um, this is how they respond. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip chimes in. He said, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. I don't know, what, I don't know the expression on Jesus' face when he says this, but he's, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? All this time in ministry, walking with them, sharing life with them, and Jesus says, these are, these are my last few moments with you, and I'm, I'm kind of passing on the baton, and you guys are like, I don't know what we're talking about. He probably could have, Jesus probably could have said, you know what, guys? You guys make your own lunch. Figure it out. But instead, this is what we hear Jesus saying. He says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world won't see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your kindness and your patience with us. Though we should be so far ahead, we are still dragging behind. And yet, you still send us your helper, your Holy Spirit, to guide us through this way. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come onto this place now because the speaker is lacking. And despite my words, Lord, I pray that your words will be spoken today. And that despite the distractions that may be in our hearts and minds, that you will break through and soften our hearts to bring the message to each and every one of us. For I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, um, over the past couple years, there's been a phrase that's become quite popular that you may be familiar with. The, the phrase is quiet quitting. Have you you've heard that word, those, that phrase before? People quiet quitting? Well, if you haven't, what, what it refers to is uh, folks at work who um, are um, really not, not, aren't quitting their jobs, but kind of acting like they have, right? They, they don't do, they don't definitely go, don't go above and beyond. They only do what they have to do to stay in that job. 
You know, after the pandemic, uh, people started reevaluating their lives. Like, am I really doing the things that's really important to me? Is this really all worth it? Sometimes even um, with seeing some people working at home with remote work and other people who have to go into work, they're going, hey, hey, you know, is this really right for me? And, you know, they started just going, well, you know what, I'll just do the bare minimum and I'll just quiet quit. I'll stay on the job, but quiet quit. I don't know um, if uh, you're in this place or, or you have people that um, uh, are like this, but I don't think quiet quitting is, is a new phenomenon, you know? I think it's been around for a while. I think there's been people who, even before the phrase became popular, quiet quit at work, right? And um, maybe in, even in life, You've seen people quiet quit. Uh, we see so much that you kind of wonder, like, you know, if God, who created this world, you know, who's all-knowing and all-being, he sees our lack of effort. <laughs> I wonder if God ever just kind of said, you know, I'm quiet quitting. You know, I'll still stay God. I'll keep this world going, but I'm just going to back up and let you guys take care of yourself. You guys make your own lunch, basically. I wonder if God's ever felt that way. Because, you know, even the best of us, we all fall short of the glory of God and God's expectations of us, you know? And not just us here, but look at the Scriptures. I mean, the, the saints, the ones that we have immortalized in Scripture, even they fell short, right? I mean, the, the, the Israelites, you know, the, the God's chosen people, they are in slavery in Egypt, through Moses, God leads them out of slavery and promises the, the, gives them the promised land. And they're like, eh, I'm not sure I really want to go there. And then while they're wandering in the wilderness, God's feeding them and giving them all the water and everything they need. And they're like, you know, I kind of want to go back to Egypt. And then David, a man after God's own heart, Scripture tells us, God gives him victory and the kingdom and yet, he experiences multiple moral failures. And as we read in John 14, these apostles who are Jesus' closest friends, students, people who've lived with him for three years, where he, they were soaking in his word, and yet we find at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, they're still not getting it. There are plenty of reasons why Jesus, God, could have quite quit on us and said, you know what, guys? You just make your own lunch. But he doesn't. Despite our shortcomings, God continues to love us. God still continues to work within us. God still tries to save us, so much so that when the prophets didn't work, he said, God's own son, Jesus Christ, to live here on the earth to be with us not only to be with us and to care for us and love us, but to, to die on the cross for our sins so that we may have entry into eternal life. When that was not even enough, knowing that we will still struggle, as we hear in Scripture, God says that, Jesus says that God will give us another helper who will be with us forever, the Holy Spirit. 
And all God asks of us is that we don't quit on him. God just asks us to trust him, to love him, and to follow his commandments. That's all God asks of us. And what does that mean? What does it mean to follow his commandments? Well, you know, if we go back to John, um, the 13th chapter, we were reading from the 14th chapter, um, where, you know, verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, At the end there, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. What What are these commandments? What is this commandment that Jesus is referring to? Well, if you just go just a few paragraphs back, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus spells it out. Pretty simple. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. That's it. That's, that's God's commandment to us, to love one another. Now, those of you who have been in church for a while kind of know, you've heard this before, and you know that when we, Jesus says love one another, he's not just talking about our family and our friends, the people right around us, the people who look like us, who act like us, who talk like us. Jesus also talking about other people that we may not love us back. In Matthew chapter uh, 5, um, verse uh, 43 to 45, Jesus explains further here where he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of the Father who is in heaven. Not only your neighbors that you love and who love you back, but love your enemies so that you will be the sons of the Father. Being a child of the Father, that, you know, that, that kind of doesn't seem, may not seem that powerful to us today, but, you know, back in biblical times, if you didn't have a father, you lacked a lot. You lacked identity. You lacked status. Because they, back in biblical times, it was a very patriarchal society. You were either someone's child or you were the father. And they gave you identity. I mean, even, even the reference, right? When, uh, when uh, in Matthew, uh, uh, I think Mark, um, Matthew chapter 4, um, when Jesus is calling his uh, uh, 12 disciples, apostles there, uh, he refers to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. It wasn't just any old James or John. It was the sons of Zebedee. Having a father gave you identity. It gave you status. And if you didn't have a father, you were an orphan. And as an orphan, you had no identity. You had no status. It was a tough place to be. Now, I think being an orphan even today is tough. Not having a parent is hard in life, having to learn everything yourself. But sometimes I think even loving orphans is hard. It's hard to love an orphan. Um, Kids you don't know. Now, over the past few years, um, or 
I don't know how many years I've actually been. I've spoken here before, and I've talked about my grandfather. He, uh, my fa- grandfather was a very early church, uh, Christian church pastor in Korea. When Christian, Christian missionaries came to Korea, he became a pastor, and um, eventually he was quite persecuted quite a bit, and went, during the Korean War, he was taken away, and we never saw him again. Um, but... Uh, w- this ministry has kind of flowed in our family, and my uncle, he's done amazing work over the years. He's well into his 90s now. Um, he's, he did a lot of uh, church planting, um, radio ministry to China and North Korea, also started a school that eventually became a college and now a university and seminary, developing uh, other new future pastors. But one of the most enduring and kind of large ministry that we ha- they have there is the uh, orphanage. Uh, over the past uh, several decades, they've run an orphanage and um, been taking care of a lot of kids. Um, and um, about seven, eight years ago, my cousin John, his, uh, my uncle's son, um, took over all of these ministries. You know, like I said, my uncle's well into his 90s. Um, he still loves to preach, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have the energy to run these ministries like he used to. So my cousin John's been out there running uh, these ministries. And, and like I said, the orphanage is one of the kind of the highlights. It's kind of a fun place to see because these kids are a lot of fun. And, and uh, like in the old days, my uncle used to write a newsletter, he used to come in, you know, in the mail and on paper. And, and now uh, John sends out the newsletter, but it's uh, you know, by email. Uh, and um, it still has lots of fun stories, a lot of great pictures of the kids. Um, but there was a really moving story that I read a few months ago uh, that John writes um, about one of these girls that um, was graduating from high school. And so um, let me just read that to you. In that newsletter, um, John writes this. I'm especially proud of one of the graduating girls who really endured a lot of rough moments over the last couple years. She was in a a dark place for a long time. She even ran away from our home a couple times, only to be sent back. Even when she came back, she did it begrudgingly. In fact, she spent the last year just completely shutting us out and isolating herself in her room. We literally never saw her. She never came down for any events. She never came down for worship or for Bible study. She never even came down to the cafeteria for meals. She never came, uh, uh, the few times I did see her, she wouldn't even respond to my greeting. I was so concerned for her on the way to her graduation I even considered the possibility that she would avoid us altogether. But we still wanted to be there for her, just in case, as we found out, we would be the only ones there to congratulate her. You see, God's commandment to love one another means more than just loving our neighbors, loving the ones who love us back, more than just loving our enemies, those who recognize us and, but doesn't like us. It even means those neighbors that don't even know that we exist, those who ignore us, who keep us more than arm's length. 
because God can still work through us. John continues in his newsletter. He says, so to actually see this girl's graduating, this orphan, smile, and thoroughly enjoy this momentous achievement came quite as a surprise to us and meant so much to all of us. She did resist a little bit, right? We, we told her that we were going to have a celebratory lunch after the graduation at a nearby restaurant. And she said that she would rather spend time with her friends. But we insisted. And we're surprised again that she gave in pretty quickly. While we were eating, her demeanor brightened and she began to open up. I took the opportunity to cautiously ask her whether or not she would be willing to attend the graduation worship service that we were planning the following Sunday after she moved out. You see, in, in Korea, and in, maybe in the U.S. as well, once you graduate from high school, you can no longer stay in the orphanage. That's one of those rules. And so graduation kind of marked the end of uh, care by others to taking care of yourself. And so um, she was moving out, this girl who never wanted to hang out with anybody the last couple years. And so John was worried that once she moved out of the house that she wouldn't come back. So she cautiously asked her, would you be willing to come back to the celebratory graduation service? And he said, I, was genu I genuinely expected her to respond with something like, no way. I am never stepping foot into that orphanage ever again. After all, that was the vibe we were getting from her the entire year. But you know what she said instead? I couldn't believe my ears. She said, of course. Why wouldn't I? I want to come home come back home every chance I get. What a shock this response was to me, John writes. You wouldn't believe how much it meant to me that she referred to us as her home. She thought of us as home. You know, um, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning that um, uh, I've been in the Air Force now for uh, 22 years. It's been uh, a, quite a journey. Um, lots of events, as you know, in the past 22 years. Uh, started out before 9-11, then 9-11 happened, and then we were just deploying all the time. And then now we're kind of in another stage where we're uh, getting ready to uh, be prepared for any kind of contingency that occurs from near-peer adversaries. and. Um, I've seen a lot of changes. Also, 20 years is kind of when um, you can retire as a military member if you're going to stay the whole career. And uh, so I've been in for this long. The guys and gals that I grew up with in the chaplain corps, they're all leaving. You know, they're, they're moving on, retiring, going on to the next stage in their life. And here I am still kind of in this uh, setting. Um, things have also changed over these 22 years, right? I mean, I think we, we're in our third utility uniform. I started out with what's called the BDUs and then went to the ABUs, and now we're the OCPs. Uh, it's, things have changed. People, the rules have changed too, you know? I mean, one of the funny things, you know, when I joined the Air Force was, you know, in uniform, you're not allowed to keep your hands in your pockets. And uh, it was kind of a weird thing to get used to, but after I got used to it, 
those, that was the rule. That, as a military member, you don't put your hands in your pockets. But now they let you do that. It's crazy. You know, I feel like one of those uh, crusty old, you know, uh, members were like, going, hey, back in my day, we never stuck hands in our pockets. Hair length is, they allow longer hair, um, tattoos. I mean, there's all sorts of changes. It's not the same Air Force that I joined 22 years ago. But another change is I've, uh, I've been very blessed to um, progress pretty high in, in, in the military, and I've kind of plateaued. I'm kind of at the top of where I can go, and so um, there's not much more I can do in the military, in the chaplaincy. Um, and so having seen all these changes, seeing my friends leave, and kind of being at a place where I feel like, you know, what, what else am I going to strive for? Should I retire? Should I just quiet quit? You know, we call this part of life where, like, we're, you know, we, we're really kind of ele- um, pulled away from the tactical ministry where the, where the airmen are, and we kind of ride the desk. Uh, they call it administry. And uh, so that's my life, you know, working lots of computer stuff, filling out forms. Um, not much of the actual ministry, but administry. And so there's a lot of moments where I feel like I just want to quiet quit. There's a term in the military for that too, actually. Uh, it's called road, R-O-A-D, that you're retired on active duty. You're still on active duty, but you act like you're retired. And uh, a few moments in my life in the past couple of years, I've been thinking, maybe I, sh- I felt like being a road. But you know, what I discovered was the reason why I'm feeling this way, I think the reason why I feel this way is, is because I'm so far from the actual ministry, what we call the tactical ministry, the boots on the ground, working with the airmen, uh, leading services, counseling, leading programs. You know, being so far and just watching the reports of these things happening is not the same. And so, you know, what I had to do was kind of intentionally put myself back out there. Uh, they don't really like it when colonels come and hang out uh, in, in, down at the, the wing. And airmen are very, I don't know, I think I'm a pretty uh, nice guy, but they're still kind of uncomfortable once they see the rank. Uh, so um, I, I, I work my way around it. You know, every time I get a chance to preach at the chapel, I, I jump at that. And I, I think New Life for giving me this opportunity to come and preach again. It's, it, you know, if you don't do this too often, you get kind of rusty. So um, I try to put myself in these moments and uh, get into uh, working with airmen. And I know that I can't necessarily do the same thing that I used to do when I was a captain, but what I can do is be more intentional in working with our junior chaplains. I may not be actually be able to do the ministry, but I can work directly with the ones who are doing those ministries to mentor them, to counsel them, to help them, and to encourage them. And what's so goofy is that I'm surprised sometimes how excited, how fulfilled I feel when I do that. I don't know why that is such a surprise because you know that when you actually engage with one another, when you help someone, you feel good. And I realize that I've pulled myself away from that too much. You know, I think the same thing can happen with our Christian walk as well. I think we can be Christian roads especially those of us who grew up in the church. You know, we go to church, we read scripture, we pray every once in a while, and that's all we do. 
And if that's all we do, we may feel a little bit despondent, maybe like a quiet quitter. I think that's why James reminds us in his letter that faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, corporate worship is an important part. We're called to do this. In fact, gathering together and praying and reading Scripture, singing praise and, and, and worshiping together, that's, that's all part of what we're called to do. In fact, in, in, in some churches, they call this order of worship liturgy. And if you go back to the origin of that word liturgy, what it means is the work of the people. So what you're doing here, you're just not sitting here and just listening to a sermon and singing songs and praying. You're actually doing the work of the people of God. But if that's all we're doing, I'm not sure we're doing enough. Faith without action is dead. Just as Jesus didn't quite quit on us, we are also called not to quite quit on him and to follow his commandments, to love one another. So what does that mean? I think one way that we don't quit to how we love one another is to, is to make lunch. We're called to make lunch, literally and figuratively. You know, I don't know about your ch- the church here, um, but back in the chapel, we we're always saying, you can't have a chapel event without food, Right? There's always food at church events and chapel events. And so, you know, um, there's definitely feeding of the body. But we're also called to feed the soul. A few months ago, the surgeon, U.S. Surgeon General uh, made an announcement saying that there's an epidemic in the U.S. of loneliness. That loneliness and that loneliness and isolation is a mental health issue for our country. People just don't have friends, don't have community. That's what the church is for. We gather together as a community to worship together. You know, I love it that New Life over this past summer has been running this program called Love Your Neighbor. That's awesome. You heard some of the stories of how you can love your neighbor. It's not just about bringing them here in the church, but building even a small community within your neighborhood. Loving your neighbor is what God calls us to do. It's not just a program. It's how we live out our faith. As we serve our God, who didn't quietly quit on us, let us also look for ways whether in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, ways that we can love our neighbor and make spiritual lunch for them. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for us and caring for each and every one of us in our souls. Thank you for feeding our soul with the lunch that you have given us through your spirit. And as we go forth from this place, Lord, we pray that you will use us mightily to share your love to the world. Let us, giving you thanks, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.